What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to this week's edition of the Dolphins In-Depth Podcast. I am Daniel Yafusi. Thanks so much for tuning in after another rough afternoon of Dolphins football. Miami dropping its third straight game, this time to the Indianapolis Colts at home, 27-17, which drops them to 1-3 on the season. Uh, the season's quickly unraveling. And it does not get any easier within a little trip up to Tampa Bay to face the Buccaneers and their good old friend and Tom Brady. We're going to talk about some of the issues that have been kind of continuing to fester in that Colts game as well as preview this uh, Tampa Bay game. But I want to introduce this week's guest. I have Marcel Louis-Jacques who covers the Dolphins for ESPN. He, like me, uh, joined the beat and is a new arrival to the beat in Miami uh, this year. But I want to say thank you and uh, welcome to the podcast, Marcel. Yeah, man, thanks for having me on. It feels good to, you know, start getting back to normal here, talking football, talking shop on some podcasts and radios, man. I I just, uh, you know, I think it really helps. And you you probably know it. It really helps acclimate, man. You know, it's kind of a... It's a weird transition coming from a, a new city, but uh, this is one of those things that definitely makes me feel like home. So, man, I appreciate you having me on. Oh, no, most definitely, most definitely, man. Uh, so we're going to get right into it, really, with some some of today's news, that being the team's uh, announcement that it has traded wide receiver Jakeem Grant to the Chicago Bears for a six-round pick. Uh, Grant obviously wasn't really used on offense, but he was the team's primary uh, returner. He had some slip-ups, especially in the Colts game, muffing a punt that was recovered by Indianapolis. He had a big fumble uh, against the Buffalo Bills, I believe. And, you know, it just just seemed like a move like this was, was kind of in the works and there was the potential for it to happen in training camp. It didn't happen then. But now Grant is gone, and he was really one of the one of the diamond in the rough picks uh, from the Greer Chris Greer era. You know, he was a six round pick, um, but was able to come in and be a really successful punt returner and a return specialist for the team. Now, now I want to ask. I mean, we talked to Brian Flores on Monday, especially about the offense, and asking if there were any changes coming and he said, you know, there weren't going to be any wholesale changes. Um, obviously a move like this trading Grant isn't really much of a shakeup on the offense, but I mean, do you think that this, I mean, what can any good come out of this? I mean, obviously it kind of frees up Jalen Wilde to be the primary returner, but I mean, what does this move kind of mean for the team going forward? Do you think? Uh, it, it's kind of a, it is kind of a surprise. Like you said, you know, a, a deal could have been done in training camp and, and once they drafted, Jalen Waddle, Jakeem Grant's role in the team kind of, you know, the writing started uh, appearing on the wall. But uh, things obviously need to change within this Dolphins team. But make no mistake, the, the problems do not begin nor end with Jakeem Grant. Uh, you know, obviously, like you said, he did have some – he's had a rough start for the season. That, that fumble – uh, the muff punt, both of them turned into points for the other team. Um, you can't cost your team. You can't cost your team the opportunity to score, and you can't, you know, open the door for your opponent to score. So, you know, that, that's like four strikes right there in, in two moves. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how much better necessarily this makes Miami. Uh, I, I guess it does open the door for, for Jalen Waddle to be their primary punt returner. But, 
Waddle's also, I believe, their most targeted receiver. So I don't know how much more work you want to put onto his plate. I guess it's a matter of getting him the ball by any means necessary. Uh, and they're going to need – they need some kind of spark. Um, they need as much field position as possible at this point because that offense has not been able to move the ball. But, uh, I mean, Grant, it's not like he was an offensive contributor per se. So it's not like he's leaving that large, that sizable of a hole behind. Uh, but it, it is, uh, it's kind of a, it's kind of an interesting move. They do recoup a six round pick for him, which is, I mean, what they used on him in 2016. So it's kind of a no harm, no foul at this point, but he's a second team all pro returner. Like he's, a, he's good at what he does. I, I don't just, I just don't immediately see how it makes the team better. Maybe this is a locker room thing. Maybe it's a salary thing, although they do have somewhere around 70, 80, something ridiculous million dollars in space next offseason, so it's not like they needed to clear a whole bunch of money off the books. Uh, you know, it, it is just uh, it's kind of a curious move. I wonder it, though if it prefaces moves to come in, in the future because, uh, again, this through four weeks, this is not working in Miami, and we, we heard, I think it was Mike Tusecki say, we just got to keep doing what we're doing. I don't think so. I, I don't think that's going to, I don't think that's really the the wave here. I'm not the one running a team, but something does have to change because you can't just continue to lose games. So I, I guess Jakeem Grant might just be the first of possibly several moves to come. Yeah, and obviously the other move they announced today was the signing of veteran center Austin Ryder. I mean, he's a guy who spent a lot of time with the Kansas City Chiefs. He was on two of their Super Bowl teams and was on the Saints practice squad this season. I mean, obviously it's kind of a kind of an additional option on that line that's been struggling. You know, they lost um, Michael Dieter, and you know, it looks like he might be out for a month or two. And um, Greg Mann started, but, you know, overall the offensive line has been struggling, so we'll see what happens and whether, you know, maybe they have another shakeup on that offensive line. But real the, issue, the real issue is the offense as a whole. You know, this is the second straight game that we haven't seen any real explosiveness, any consistency for three quarters. The offense gets down, and then all of a sudden they start throwing the ball down the field. And, you know, it's like I feel like we've kind of been taking turns kind of scapegoating people on the on the offensive side of the ball. You know, the first week or two it was the offensive line. The uh, third week or so it was maybe the offensive play caller. And now it's like, you know, Flores kind of just flat out said, you know, we have opportunities to throw the ball downfield, but we're not taking advantage of them. And, you know, you showed the the um, the video of Jacoby just completely missing Jalen Waddle on a deep throw and then checking it down. So now Jacoby's kind of taking some blame. I mean, I'm not really sure how you fix this offense because it's not like one thing in particular. It's not like, oh, we don't have – the receivers or or the play calling is terrible because while the play calling could be better, we know that that's not it. There have been opportunities. Um, I mean, I'm I'm kind of conf- kind of conflicted. Like I don't know where they go. You know, the offensive line. There's no quick fix to that. Like, wh- what do you do in this case? Yeah, I think that play callers and, and coordinators specifically are easy scapegoats for for fans watching the game. Uh, just because I mean, you don't get access to. I mean, now it's gotten easier with the All-22s coming out, but you, you don't really get to watch an entire play develop uh, by just watching the game once on, on television. And, and oftentimes the casual fan can't do it 
in, in the stands. It's hard for anybody to really do it in the stands. Even coaches, this is why they have to rewatch game film. Um, but it is very hard to criticize a play caller until you know what the assignments are, until you know what they're trying to do, what they're trying to set up. I, I try, I do try to, to shy away from that, uh, with the exception of that safety in, in Las Vegas a couple of weeks ago. That, uh, I mean, while it did, it, it did produce a couple open players or a couple open receivers. I, I feel like I mean your back's on the your back's on the wall, man. Just try to run the ball, force the way out. Don't go empty. But uh, either way, hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, everybody kind of deserves their share of the blame here, though. Um, you mentioned the offensive line. The offensive line is almost is almost at the bottom of the league in terms of pass block win rate. They're winning forty eight point four percent of their pass blocks. That's twenty ninth in the NFL. Uh, they also, they've given up the fourth most sacks, tweeted this out the other day, they've given up the fourth most sacks, but they're facing the eighth fewest blitzes. So defenses aren't even blitzing. They're just sending four at them right now, and they're still getting home. That's a major issue. Um, because of that, you're only sending four. That means you've got seven to drop back in coverage and with the linebackers and, and secondary, and they're playing a whole lot of zone. 55% of the snaps that this Miami offense has faced is against zone, and traditionally speaking, that is Jacoby Brissett's weakness there. He, he's not necessarily, you know, statistically, he's not been good against man or zone, but he has had more success against man in his career, and I think that he has enough tape on him that teams know that, and that's why you've been seeing it over the past couple weeks. Uh, you know, started with the Bills, who are his own heavy team to begin with, and, and the Raiders and, and Colts saw that and said, okay, th- there's the blueprint. And, uh, you know, that, that kind of brings us to the next next in line when it comes to taking the blame is, is Jacoby Brissett. Man, he looked us all in the eye and said and called himself a starter and we after the week two loss. He, he hasn't played like it. And that's just to put it bluntly. He hasn't played like it. He's a likable guy. Uh, you know, I think he I think he's smart enough. He's been around the league long enough to know what he's doing. And in theory, on paper, you've got that kind of guy with 30 plus starts under his belt. That's the ideal backup when your starter goes down. And he just flat out has not been playing well. Uh, you know, he, he's been, I think these, these stats that you see, uh, he just threw his, his first two touchdown passes of the season, uh, a couple of days ago. But the numbers that you see are kind of reflective of a, a overly conservative quarterback, an overly protective quarterback, almost timid, uh, timid player. Uh, you're seeing low average yards per attempt. You're seeing, you know, low total yards. You're seeing low average air yards per attempt as well. I mean, he only attempted one ball beyond 20 yards. Uh, beyond, yeah, beyond 15, 20 yards last game. It was that 42-yard pass to uh, to Devontae Parker there in the fourth quarter. It, I understand that you can't just chuck the ball deep every single play. This is not Madden, but as Brian Flores said, there are opportunities to move the ball downfield that we aren't taking. And that, if you try to read between the lines and read between the coach speak, that is Brian Flores saying, yeah, our quarterback's not, he's not seeing that. Or our offensive line is not holding enough, or, you know, is not holding their blocks long enough. Uh, that, that's, that's him saying it's not the play calling, it's, it's the execution. So, uh, you know, and everybody, like I said, everybody's got to share the blame. And of course, Anytime execution comes into play, you have to look at the coaches because it's their job to have these players 
prepared for every scenario. So when you see players, when you see guys like like Brissett looking at a wide open Devontae Parker and Jalen Waddle, uh, each of whom have five and I think nine yards of separation between them and the nearest defender. When you see him stare them down and then check down to Savon Ahmed, who is tightly covered by arguably the best linebacker in the NFL, you look at coaches and say, okay, did you not drill it into his head during the week that if that that's your primary read and if it's open, you have to hit it. So, you know, nobody goes out of this blameless uh, except, I don't know, maybe, maybe Blake Ferguson or Michael Pilardi. I think they've been fine. There's no blown snaps. You know, there's no blown snaps. Not yet. Uh, <laughs> Not yet. There's no shank punts. So, uh, I, but other than that, yeah, it's just been, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's really a, I, I don't want to be too dramatic here, but, uh, there were playoff aspirations for this team. And I, I say that I had those coming in. I expected to be coming into Miami and, and seeing a, a playoff team. That's, that was my perception of them even during my, my years in Buffalo it was like, this is a team on the rise. And even Miami was betting on itself to make the playoffs this year. That's why they don't have a first, their own first round pick this year. That's why it's, it's belongs to the Eagles. You know, they thought, you know, what's, what's a late first round pick to move up and grab a guy like Jalen Waddle. So, uh, you know, there, there are serious issues here. Um, and it really does. It, it, it begins on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I think I think those are all great points. I think the like, the fascinating part about this to me is we still don't know who actually calls the plays, man. Like we, I mean, Bill Belichick and John Gruden think that it's George Gotzi. Um, Brian Flores won't tell us that it's George Gotzi. Last week, Trent Dilfer said that it's the quarterbacks coach Charlie Fry, and Jay Feely on the CBS broadcast seems to kind of like mention that as well. Um, you know, we asked him, we asked Brian Flores on Monday, and he pretty much just gave us the same spiel. Like, we've been over this. Uh, Charlie relays the calls to the quarterbacks. He's in the headset. And, you know, I asked Charlie about that at the Tuesday assistant coach's availability, and he pretty much said, hey, um, Brian answered this. I'm not really going to go too much into that. Um, so there's still no clarity. I'm just going to assume it's George Gatti, but especially in recent weeks, um, the coaching staff has kind of like not wanted to single out anybody in terms of like the game plan and calling plays. They they're saying it's a collaborative approach, and that kind of gives the impression that it's like ten people during the week yelling like, "I think this play should be drawn. I think this should be play should be drawn." I think that that is a bit of an overreaction to think that there's too many too many maybe chefs in the kitchen. I I personally think that like just the execution or there's just some type of disconnect from the week of practice to game day. Because if you look at this offense on its face, you know, the offensive line is a mess in its own right. And, and they've had struggles, but just looking at the skill position players, this should be an average offense at worst in terms of like the major statistical categories. Like there's no reason why they should be like last in yards per play and second to last in yards and just not able to move the ball at all. And that's where I say like there's maybe just some type of disconnect. And but but I do understand, you know, members of the media and fans who say like maybe there are way too many people in like the ears of the players throughout the weekend but now. What do you what do you think about that? I I mean there's 
definitely such thing as too many cooks in the kitchen. That is why you don't see co-offensive coordinators in the NFL, man. Like, that's not a – this is not a, a normal circumstance here. Uh, matter of fact, it, it's kind of weird. And, uh, you know, especially if what we're hearing is, is, is true. I don't know if they're just kind of throwing us off the set or – or what the need for all the secrecy is. I guess it's their prerogative. But when you – okay, so you're saying that Gotsi and Studisville collaborate on a play to call and then send it down to Charlie Fry, who also has input and needs to relay that to to Atungo Bailoa or Jacoby Brissett, whoever's that quarterback. You know, Fry and a, a quarterback coach and the quarterbacks and his players have maybe different terminology and, uh, you know, a different kind of relationship and different mindset than a offensive coordinator and his quarterback. You know, they spend a lot more time together. They might have different ways of explaining certain situations and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it's like playing – it's like a game. Uh, it's like that game telephone, you know, yeah. where, where you give a message and you go down the line and whisper it in people's ear. By the time that message gets to the quarterback, it might be a little bit different than what George Gottsy's seeing in the booth or what Studisville is saying on the field. So I, I think it's weird. Plus, they, I, I mean, if, if I heard correctly today, every offensive assistant coach has some sort of input on, on what plays are called. Like, again, that I, might just be them. I think – see, that, see that's, that's the thing. I, this is my perception of maybe how the, 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 the food is made, you know, so to speak. I think that during the week you have the various positional meetings – you know, with maybe the offensive line coaching the offensive line, the running backs coaching the running backs, and so on and so forth. And they all go through like they, they, you know, they have their various position meetings, but those are based off of the meetings that the offensive assistants have with each other to discuss what they think will work as a collective. And I and I think that through that discourse of the assistants, they formulate an offensive game plan. And I think that. This is all just hypothetical me guessing. I think that on game day, while there are there is communication with headsets, it's Gatsy to our understanding calling the plays, and maybe there's dialogue with uh, Studesville like, hey, this is what I'm seeing, this is what you're seeing, and Charlie Fry, this is what he's seeing, this is what the quarterback's seeing, so on and so forth. And I, I don't think it's like. Studesville and Gatsi, like in mid game, are like, I think you should call. I think you should call this. I'm going to call this. I, I think I think Gatsi is like has has that autonomy to call plays and call the plays that he thinks will work on game day. And he's continuing. And he's you know talking with the assistants. I don't think it's like relaying. Like I don't think it's like a telephone the way that you know some people are making it making it seem. Um, so I mean that that's just my personal opinion. You know I, I think that you know there's. You know, football is a collaborative game. I mean, you're not going to do everything by yourself. One person isn't going to, like, dominate everything. Um, so I think that collaborative process is, like, understandable. But I don't think that that's necessarily the reason why that, like, they have the worst offense. I mean, they have one of the worst offenses because their players aren't executing. Like, Jacoby Brissett isn't testing defenses down the field. The offensive line isn't holding up its blocks in pass protection. Like, I, I don't know. Like, and that's why I go back to there's some type of there's some disconnect going on, um, but like we both said, it's hard to like pinpoint one specific thing. I think it's like an amalgamation of a whole bunch of stuff, a whole bunch of issues that are resulting in a really bad product. Yeah, and it, you know what, you know what unconvolutes the process is having one offensive coordinator. Like every team, every team in the league, it, it's a collaborative 
effort throughout the week. You know, it, it's uh, you're, you're asking for trouble if you just got one guy kind of at the top of the food chain beating his chest saying, I'm not going to listen to everybody. That's how you lose games because, I mean, I mean the, your, your tight ends coach and your receiver coach and your O-line coach, they're spending more time with those specific players than you are. So you have to listen to that input. But I, I just, without us knowing what the process is, I guess it, it, this is all speculative on on our end that, uh, you know, that the process has is, is kind of complicated getting a play from the booth all the way down to the field. But uh, I don't know. It is, it also, it's just a little bit, it is sort of strange that uh, it is sort of strange to, to keep it so, so close to the vest. I don't know if that gives them a tactical advantage or if this is Brian Flores wanting to kind of protect his, his coaches and protect his coworkers so that, you know, one guy can't just shoulder all the blame because, because like I said before, you know, coordinators and play callers are, are easy scapegoats for, for people watching the game. But, uh, you know, either way, I, I do agree that I, I think it has more to do with uh, execution on the field than it does what specific plays are, are being called. You know, there are – because, again, it, it, unless we are – until we're in the room with them during the week and, and watching as they develop their game plan, which we're never going to be – it's hard to really criticize the play call. We don't know what they saw during practice. We don't know what they saw on film. And uh, we don't know what they're trying to set up. So, you know, when you see certain you see certain calls, it might not make sense on TV or it might not make sense from the press box. But to them during the week, at some point, they saw an advantageous matchup. And it just did not play out on the field. But uh, I don't know. There is there is one one concept that I'm, I'm – it's just not – I'm trying to take their word for it, man, and uh, I'm struggling to uh, as these weeks go on. And that, that is the the concept of taking what a defense gives you, uh, because it just feels it feels very reactive. You know what I mean? And I know you have to adapt, and, and, fo- and football game plans are fluid, and so on and so forth. But there's something to be said about a team that is able to dictate the flow, and a team that is able to establish what they want to establish in the game. And I, I don't think they've been able to do that. Um, and I don't think you're able to do that by just, you know, dinking and dunking your way down the field. No defense wants you to throw the ball deep on them. But uh, at some point you've got to show them. I think, in my opinion, you, you have to show them that you're not afraid to. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, I mean, teams or defenses are going to be perfectly content with guarding a bunch of checkdowns. Um, so you have to at least attempt and, you know, Brian Forrest said that there won't be any wholesale changes, so something's going to have to switch from the, from the inside. I want to shift to a little segment. You know, we're at the pretty much the quarter point of the season. Obviously, there's 17 games instead of 16, but so I'll just say four games is the quarter point of the season. I want to do a stock up, stock down type of look at the roster, and I'll let you start first. I mean, who's one player who's impressed you through one game. I know there's not a lot of options because the team has been struggling, but who's one guy that's maybe been impressing you and another guy who's kind of been a bit of a disappointment and uh, has, has kind of fallen short of your expectations through four games? And this is, uh, this is a, <laughs> this is tough. I, I, I think we can, we can maybe start with the disappointment. Uh, I think Mike Kosicki's start to the season in a contract year has been a little bit disappointing. Uh, he, he produces when, when his name is called. And so I don't think, 
it's hard to say how much of this is exactly his fault versus is he just not being looked at. But uh, again, his his stock, as in his actual market value for for the, his coming free agency, I, I think is I think it's down a bit. Uh, and then as far as stock up, I, I think Emmanuel Agba has quietly had a had a good start to the season. Uh, you know the sack mon- the sack numbers aren't aren't there, and uh, I, I I think uh, I think that sacks are sort of a facade. You know I, I, they they look pretty. Uh, they get you paid. Don't get me wrong. Uh, a, a guy that I think Dolphins fans are somewhat familiar with, Jordan Phillips, parlayed a nine and a half sack season a couple years ago into you know ten million plus a year with the Cardinals. So you know sacks will get you paid, but it, it, it's beyond that. I think Agua is providing consistent pressure on quarterbacks. He's beating his blocks. He's he's winning his pass rushes. Uh, the sacks will come. But uh, I, I think on several occasions when they needed a play out of him, he's provided. Um, and and it, it, it's, it, just, it hasn't always been pretty, and, but I think that's kind of what this defense is about. It, it's more of a – it's a defense that's kind of greater than some of its parts. Besides Xavier Howard, there's not really a superstar on there. But uh, so you might not see Herculean performances, but uh, besides Howard, I think Agua has been good to start the year. Yeah, yeah, we're we're definitely seeing him get a lot of pressure, a lot of QB hits, and I I think that those sacks will come. I mean, he led the team in in sacks with nine last year, and if you look back at the game logs, he kind of was able to string consecutive games with at least one sack. So I I think that if he continues to rush the pressure like he has been, we'll, we'll see that over time. Uh, for Stockton, I mean, I gotta go with Jacoby Brissett. I know he's the backup, but like you said, he said he was a starter. And I think we, we we talked about it outside of the podcast. We both thought that there wasn't really going to be that much of a drop off to a sideline and Jacoby in the lineup, and that just hasn't been the case. You know, Tua, which we'll talk about on the other side of, of a break coming up. You know, he he's not perfect. The offense wasn't perfect in that week one win over the Patriots, but you know, Brissett. I mean, this offense with Brissett for pretty much the past two games has been the worst offense in the NFL, and I don't think anybody expected that. Um, we'll see if he can turn things around against the Bucks, but I do. I have a lot of. I don't have a lot of faith in that against that defense. Uh, but for stock up, I'm gonna go with another uh, another edge rusher like you. I'm gonna go with Jalen Phillips, and he he's kind of had a slow grind type of start to the season, you know, he hasn't been playing starter-level snaps every single game, but you've kind of seen bits and flashes in, in every single game, and I feel like he was really starting to put it together against the Colts, getting his first sack, um, getting some tackles, getting some QB pressures and whatnot. You know, he, he's a guy who's, I mean, he might be the most, if not the most, one of the most athletically gifted athletically gifted players on the team. Um, and, and you know, while maybe the results haven't haven't shown in, like, sacks immediately from game one, I think that he's, he's really flashed. And, um, you know, uh, Josh Foyer and, you know, position coaches spoke really highly of the, the way that he's been able to put it together and um, kind of the mental part of the game has slowed down. You know, he, he said he didn't even know what a cover three was last year at Miami, which is kind of crazy because, you know, I know what a cover three is off of Madden. Um, and he talked, he talked about how much of a change it was, you know, for for him to, you know, come from Miami where they were like, hey, just chase the pass, just chase the the quarterback, and and and, and you know, my, well, I'll say Miami, 
not Miami, uh, Dolphins now, he, he has to do a lot of things from dropping coverage to setting the edge against the run to rushing the passer. And like, he's finally putting it together. He, he's a nice guy to talk to. You know, he's a real easy guy to root for. And it, it was cool to see him finally kind of have that little bit of a breakout. Um, so, you know, he's definitely going to be a major part of this defensive lineup going forward. Yeah. It, and, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to, I never really wanted to bury him for the, uh, for the cover three comment, obviously, I think a lot of people blamed the University of Miami for him not knowing what that was. But uh, I, I feel like it'd be sort of like it'd be sort of like asking a a cornerback what a stunt is, and you know, I don't think we would be, I don't think we'd rip Xavier Howard for not knowing what a stunt is. Just like I don't know if we can blame a pass rusher for not knowing what cover three responsibilities are. But yeah, I think I do think that he's. He's definitely turned up over the past couple of weeks. Uh, he's flashed. He got there, uh, you know, the the phantom face mask call that yeah. I think some Dolphins fans might still be angry about. He got there. He disrupted. He did his job on the play. Um, Brian Flores kind of referenced that play after the game that, you know, it's that's one of those little things that they have to, they have to be able to clean up mid-game, uh, making sure that your hands are low. Uh, so that that opportunity for the penalty to even be called or even be misconstrued is not there. Um, so I, I, that's just something uh, that's something I think he'll work on as his career progresses. But I do like what 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 we've seen from from Jalen Phillips. I loved that pick when I saw it. Uh, I, I I loved him as a player uh, when I was covering the Bills. That that was a guy who until he started kind of shooting up the draft boards, I thought that Buffalo should probably target. But uh, it's uh, they're they're going to need him. They need him because that that's what that's the strength of this defense, right? Is is forcing quarterbacks to make decisions before they're comfortable. That's why I think sack numbers are kind of fl- are flaky because this defense doesn't need sacks. You know what I mean? Like they they are so strong in the secondary that they want quarterbacks to throw a fifty fifty ball up. Like they want to they want a quarterback to have to say, ah, shoot, this is the lesser of two evils. And then chuck the ball at Byron Jones or, or Xavier Howard and let those 16 plus million dollars a year guys make a play. So uh, as long as they can provide pressure, which Jalen Phillips is starting to do, then he's doing his job, and I think his snap count will continue to increase. Yeah, I mean he, I mean he, and really a lot of the 2021 20, classes has looked pretty good. If you look at him, Javon Holland, and, and Jalen Waddle, so it's going to be interesting to see what that maturation process is. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about the tw- a member of the 2020 class, that being Tua. You know, we always have to talk to Tua, and we're going to preview the Tampa Bay Bucks game. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back. It's the Dolphins in Depth podcast. I'm still joined by Marcel Louis-Jacques, who covers the Dolphins for ESPN. We've been talking a lot about uh, some of these issues from the Colts game. Um, and and I, as we kind of come on the other side of the break, I, I want to talk about Tua because I, I don't know about you, but through the offensive struggles, I've kind of been more intrigued by Tua's impending return. You know, he's missed. Uh, obviously got knocked out of the Buffalo Bills game in week two with fractured ribs, and uh, they subsequently put him on IR. So he's had to miss the past three games, and uh, that third game is going to be the Tampa Bay Bucks coming up on Sunday. But after that, I mean, he's eligible to return to practice, play in the lending game on October 17th. And I'm just curious, I mean, how how much do you think he might be able to boost this offense? You know, I said it on the other side. He wasn't perfect against the Patriots, but – do you think that he could potentially, you know, like be a shot in the arm to this offense? He's gonna have to be, man. <laughs> that's that's the uh, that's kind of the the reality, the gravity of the situation. Uh, I, I wrote about it a little bit after the Colts game, but there there is no longer a margin for error for Tua to develop into a downfield passer. He has to be ready and willing to do it right away. He had that willingness a little bit. We saw six pass attempts beyond 15 air yards against New England. So that's a good sign. They didn't all connect, but now he's going to have to start hitting those because they're in a hole. You know, the, the past few weeks have left them in a major hole. So uh, I, I think he has to be a shot in, a shot in the arm for this offense. And uh, like you said, I, I will admit, you know, I've, I've only seen Tua play two games in person, one of which was – Week 17 against the Bills last year, which obviously didn't leave a good taste in my mouth, you know, about his his potential, small sample size. And then that Patriots game, which I thought was obviously better than that Week 17 game, but still wasn't necessarily spectacular. You know, I didn't leave that game saying, you know, two was just absolutely that guy. I would have loved to see him finish out that game against Buffalo in Week 2, considering – the aggressive nature of that Bills defense. I would love to have seen how Tua responded to that. And uh, obviously nobody really got that opportunity to see it. But uh, I, I think he has to, he just has to be. And if, if this Dolphins team wants to uh, wants to try to rebound and make the playoffs, this is still – it's still an easy schedule, man. They still have two games against the Jets remaining. They got another game at home against the Patriots. They're playing the Giants as well. Uh, you know, they, they, there are opportunities to, they got the Jags, there's opportunities to win games. You know, it's not, the season's not over. But uh, if, if he comes back and he is about as effective as Brissett has been over the past few weeks, people are going to lose jobs, man. Like, yeah. it, it's not, it, it, I'm not excited to say that. I'm not happy to say that. Or, you know, seeing it as some, as some champion of the truth. But, like, that's just the reality. That's just the reality. You traded a first-round pick this year. And if things are going at this rate, I, I, I think they're projected to, that that pick's projected to be top five. You have San Francisco's pick. The Niners are good now. <laughs> like so, that's that's a tough break. If you win, if you lose double-digit games somehow this year, 
And uh, if you lose double-digit games somehow and you're still picking in the 20s and you're watching the pick that you owned go top five or even top eight, top ten, that's tough to swallow. That's tough to, to stomach. And somebody on some side of the ball, whether it's players, coaches, front office executives, it's not going to be the same crew. I, I can promise you that. I, I've been covering the league for four years. It's not like I'm some mass historian, but it don't take, uh, uh, you know, it, it doesn't take a, an OG. It doesn't take a 30-year <laughs> vet to know. <laughs> you you go from 10 wins to 10-plus losses, somebody ain't coming back next year. Yeah, I mean, I know the past three games have been a struggle. They've been really tough for the Dolphins fan base, but I feel like there's also been kind of an overreaction to the losses in the sense that, you know, there's been a lot of, like, blowing up reactions because of these losses. And I feel like within all that, we, we kind of lost sight that this whole season was kind of really about Tua and whether he could take that step as a franchise quarterback. And that's why I'm like, when he comes back, I'm like, let, let's give him, like, a little bit of grace. You know, they, obviously he's coming back from the injury. He's been out the lineup for a couple of weeks. So, like, let's give him the grace and the time to figure out if he can get things kind of corrected. And, and, and remember, like, I mean, this offense, this new offense was kind of built for Tua. Like, it wasn't, it was not built for Jacoby Brissett. It was built for Tua. And I don't know about you, but I haven't really seen as much of what we saw from week one in the past three games. You know, the, the quick passes, the, the RPOs and whatnot. Like, they, they kind of scrapped that as far as I've seen. Um, so, you know, let Tua come back, hopefully after, after this Bucks game. Um, I think that, if anything, like from the small sample size that we've seen, I mean, he'll throw it a little farther down the field than Jacoby. You know, there's NFL next year stats that show that uh, Jacoby is in, like, the bottom third of the league in average intended air yards, and two is kind of like the middle of the pack, which, you know, we'll take that with what you've seen over the past three games. Um, but, you know, it, I think it'll help a bit, but still, you know, the problems don't start and end with the quarterback. You know, there's a lot top to bottom that's kind of wrong with this offense. But, hey, I mean, it's never bad when your starting quarterback is back in the lineup. So we'll see what happens with Tua. Yeah, for sure. And I think that uh, it, it is pretty important to remember that, you know, while Tua is absolutely, a, uh, inarguably, inarguably an upgrade from Jacoby Brissett, he is not so transcendent of a talent that he's going to elevate this offense into like a top five or top ten offense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's still learning the game. It's not like they've got Aaron Rodgers coming back or, 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 you know, Russell Wilson or Kyler Murray coming back. Like, this, he's not he's not a guy right now at this stage in his career who makes an offense play and stuff. So I, I do I do want Dolphins fans to, to, to realize that he, it's not going to solve every single problem. But when I say that he has to, he has to come in and he has to be a shot in the arm for this offense, like, that means – he has to at least be trying to. Like he has to be the aggressor. He has to try to force the issue. Like not force the issue, but he he has to try to uh, to be a spark because he can't just come in and be timid. He can't come in and be conservative. He can't come in and game manage because they can't afford to manage games. And that's just that is the hole that they are in right now. That uh, it's an it's a disadvantageous situation for him for a developing passer. Uh, it, it's not fair, but shoot, man, life ain't fair. The, the fact of the matter is there is a high probability this team is one in four and three games behind the Bills in the uh, – three or four games behind the Bills in the AFC East race. 
uh, and, and quickly falling out of the AFC wild card race. This is a tough conference, man. I know there's seven playoff teams, but, uh, you know, they just lost to an 0 3 Colts team. Like, it, it's, these are the games that, those are the games they ha- they had to have. They had to have. So, you know, it, it, it's hard. You gotta be reasonable. You gotta be rational when it comes to expectations for Tua if he does return in that Jacksonville game. But man, if they don't come out and beat the Jaguars and they start one and five, it's gonna, it's gonna be bad. It's, it's gonna be bad. <laughs> exactly. Like, I don't even have to say it. What's understood don't need to be explained. So. Yeah, I, it, it's it's an interesting balance here between being reasonable about your expectations for Tua and being realistic in in the sense that he is the best quarterback on this roster and he has to elevate this offense somehow. He's not going to bring them. In, he's not going to make them elite, but they they can't be this. <laughs> they can't do that anymore. Nobody. I don't think anybody in South Florida wants to watch that anymore. So uh, I don't Dolphins, watch that anymore. <laughs> Dolphins coaches and. You know, Dolphins coaches and front office execs included. So he has to come in. You know, it, it's not a fair situation for him to be in. But I'll tell you what, if he comes in, he comes back, he balls out, man. Uh, this is a real opportunity for him to to really kind of beat his chest and, and establish himself in the league. Because if he comes in here and he even makes this offense respectable, then that just that shows right there how valuable he truly is. So uh, you know, it's a big it's a big spot for him, man. Like I I don't necessarily envy the position he's in, but uh you wanna be you wanna prove why you're a top five pick. I can't think of another of a better situation to do so than this one. Yeah, I mean the earliest he can come is October seventeenth against the Jaguars in London. Um so you know, there's still one more game until that and you know, if the they're gonna turn things around, they might have to start in Tampa Bay and you know, the Bucks are a ten point uh or favored by ten points. So things aren't looking good right now, but I mean are you giving them any chance to win this game? I mean, I know that the Bucks have the worst passing defense statistically, um, in the league. So are you I mean, do you think it's the week that Jacoby's gonna let it open? No. And <laughs> I, I, I that sounds so blunt and so negative and pessimistic, man, and that's not who I am as a person, dude. Like I've always kind of skewed positive in my coverage, if I have to admit. But last week was supposed to be a get-right game. Last week they played a defense that was at, that was allowing six-plus yards per play. And for most of the game, the Dolphins were averaging three yards per play. If it weren't for a 120-yard fourth quarter or 130-whatever-yard fourth quarter, then that yards per that yards per play would be in, in the in the crapper, man. Like it, they didn't take advantage of a boom spot last week. I I am not in a position to believe. I, I have no reason. I'm not inclined to believe that they'll do so this time around against a team that just won the Super Bowl last year against this this type of pass rush. Like I don't care what what's in their secondary. It doesn't matter who – I could probably play corner right now for the Bucks with, with the way that the, this pass rush, the, the Bucks pass rush has played and the Dolphins pass blocking has been. Like, that's not – that's a kind of a scary – Joe Tryon is playing great football right now. Uh, he's making a couple teams there late in the, late in the first round, uh, you know, after the, after the Phillips pick, look, look a little – you know, look twice at their draft board and think, oh, did we miss something with this guy? He's explosive. He's going to be a problem – for whoever's at right tackle. Because, right, you know, Liam Eikenberg, he's a rookie. 
Um, they have put a lot on his plate. I don't think they've done him any favors by moving him in so many different positions. Although, if if you're going to get work at a bunch of different spots, you might as well do it right now as a rookie while you, your mind is still kind of mendable. But uh, he hasn't necessarily been good as a pass blocker. Yeah, you know, he's still finding his way. A lot of Austin Jackson is is you know the big scapegoat for the line, but the other side hasn't necessarily been much better. That's not a fun matchup to watch, and you know I, I would be I would be worried if I'm a Dolphins fan. I'd be worried about Brissett getting rattled early because of that pressure. Um, I would be worried that you know this is I believe besides the Bills, this is the best offense that Miami has played this season. They can only hold them back for so long, you know. They, they as we've seen repeatedly, you know, they played a lot of good offenses, the Raiders, the Bills. Uh, they've only they can only hold the gates for so long, you know. Like it's like Hodor, Hodor, Hodor can only hold the door for so long before the the whites came through. So I, I don't know, man. It's just if I if I see it and and they they win and Brissett comes out just with nothing to lose and reckless abandon and and starts hitting these passes that we haven't seen him even really attempt, then I'll eat my words happily. I, I would love to watch that game. But, man, right now, to just keep it a buck, I, I haven't seen anything that leads me to believe that they, they're capable of taking advantage of that of that mismatch. Anybody can win on any given Sunday. That's the beauty of this league. But, uh, you know, I, I just don't – I don't see it right now, man. Do you? Well, the one thing I will say is that the Bucks have not – they have not looked as impenetrable as they did during their Super Bowl run. They almost got beat by the Patriots. If it wasn't raining in Foxborough, they'd probably get beat by the Patriots. Uh, we saw them lose to the Rams, who obviously one of the best teams in the NFC. And they almost lost to the Cowboys, who, albeit they're looking very good. But this team isn't – as, you know, impenetrable as, you know, we all thought. We all thought that they are bringing everyone back for their, from the Super Bowl round. They were going to be a juggernaut. And they haven't really looked like that. So I do think that there is a bit of a potential for the offense to have maybe some success. I, I do think that that offensive line is going to have its hands full, and they're really going to struggle. Uh, but but I do think that the Dolphins' defense matches up well, and I think that it can kind of keep them in the game for a bit, kind of the way that the Patriots' defense did. Now, do I think that's going to happen? No, but, you know, that's why we play the games, you know what I'm saying? That is exactly why we play the games, man. Like, like you, you kind of figured that, uh, like, okay, you, you bring everybody back. That's fun and all. That's good in theory. But it, it, it's, you're not going to get the same results. You know, like people were talking 17 and oh, I, I figured that wasn't going to happen, sure. But, uh, you know, one thing I think specifically that worries me as far as the, the, the matchups go is, is Devin White's presence there in the, uh, the, the, the Bucks linebacker, especially if Brissett wants to check down, if Brissett wants to play it safe, he's fast enough to shut that, to shut that down kind of at will. And if he makes a mistake, he, he can take it back to the house. So I, I think that's an X factor to watch here coming up. But, uh, you know, th- that's why you play the game. That's why you play games to see. I'll tell you what I am looking forward to, man. I don't know if you've ever been to, to Tampa yet, but uh, that's arguably the best arguably the best press box food in the country. Right oh, there. really? Oh, really? Oh, yeah. 
Oh, well, yeah. Well, what are we talking about? Very least, at the very least, it's the biggest. We're talking Cuban sandwiches at halftime. We're talking okay. bananas foster late in the game. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner spread. Uh, you know, maybe they've changed since I've last been there. It's been a few seasons. But uh, the, it, it's one of my favorites to go to, man. So, personally, I, you know, we're going to eat well on Sunday. Well, that is something to look forward to. The Dolphins might lose, but we're going to be well fed. <laughs> and that's what I'm sure everybody listening was worried about. <laughs> of course, of course, of course. Well, like we said, the Dolphins are big underdogs, but this is why we play the game. Uh, I want to say thank you to Marcel for joining me on this week's show. Uh, it's been good to, to meet you and you know the rest of the Dolphins beat. I'll see you in Tampa. And I'll see you, the listeners, back next week for another show. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate you having me, man. Thanks.